This episode of The Incubator is proudly sponsored by Kiesi. That's why it was a bit, a bit of a delay there. Um, there was this um, paper out of Canada that I found in the Journal of Pediatrics um, called Hyperbilirubinemia Among Infant-Born Preterm. Peak Levels and Association with Neurodevelopmental Outcomes. First author is Gonzalo Solis-Garcia and colleagues. Um, and yeah, the title really caught my eye. It's a very interesting uh, paper. The background goes over some of the things that we're probably familiar with, that unconjugated bilirubin can cross the blood-brain barrier and really lead to this entity that we now know as BIND, right? Bilirubin-induced neurological dysfunction. Um, the risk of bilirubin-induced neurotoxicity is higher in preterm infants than interim infants. And we know that because of the status of the blood-brain barrier in preterm infants. Um, and there are some studies that suggest an association between higher levels of bilirubin and adverse neurodevelopmental outcome, whereas some other studies have refuted this association after adjusting for some uh, potential co-founders. Um, but it is assumed that peak bilirubin values um, really increase with uh, increasing gestational age. But um, when it comes to preterm infants, there's really no normative data that's available. We're, we're really not sure what we're doing, basically, right? I mean, as you all know, the phototherapy guidelines published by the AP don't really apply to like a 26-weeker. And then you, you're reliant on either very small studies or consensus um, recommendations. Um, I mean, I, I like the Stanford um, preemie tool that, that's available, but bottom line is we don't really have good, good evidence. Um, most studies linking bilirubin levels to neurodevelopmental outcomes have not really stratified cohorts, um, despite the general assumption that um, in guidelines, as gestational age goes down, your level should be your your threshold should be uh, lower. So the aim of that study um, that's coming to us out of Canada, I don't know if I mentioned that, uh, is to number one describe the distribution of peak of peak bilirubin levels in preterm neonates less than twenty nine weeks in the first fourteen days of age, stratifying that by both gestational age and birth weight categories. The second aim of the study is to analyze the association between different gestational age-specific quartiles of peak bilirubin and neurodevelopmental outcomes in preterm neonates that are born before 29 weeks of gestation. So let's talk a little bit about the study design. It's a population-based retrospective cohort study from 33 centers that are participating in the CNN, the Canadian Neonatal Network. I actually um, got to meet um, one of the founders of this. Can Michael Narvi introduced me to one of the founders of the Canadian Union Network at PS. That was kind of a cool moment. Mm -hmm. um, and um, and this involved also another network in Canada called the Canadian Neonatal Follow-Up Network, the CNFUN. The inclusion criteria were preterm neonates that were born between 22 and 28 and 28 weeks and six days of gestation that were admitted to any of the NICUs that participates in the network between January 2010 and December 2018. They excluded neonates who um, died before seven days of age, who had major congenital anomalies, and for whom uh, any data on their bilirubin levels were not available. Now, the primary exposure was the peak total serum bilirubin level recorded in the patient's chart during the first 14 days of age and the age in days at which this value was reached, right? So they just looked at when, when did you peak, right? Um... Follow-up assessment occurred at 18 to 30 months of age in the um, in the neurodevelopmental clinic participating in the follow-up network for the Canadian neonatal network. The 
uh, assessment included uh, neurological examination, standardized history, and there was a Bailey that was administered that included cognitive, motor, and language scores. Um, now, there's there were some important changes that I think needs to be mentioned, especially um, since the author do bring them up in the methodology. Um, regarding the number of centers that are participating, so between 2010 and 2012, all neonatal follow-up clinics participated in the data collections, but since 2013, only 12 out of 26 clinics have continued data entry. So, so, and the follow-up rates um, were of above above 60% for eligible children. So there's there's a bit of a shift that happens in their follow-up rate as they are as this study period is ongoing. The primary outcome was significant neurodevelopmental impairment, which was defined as any one or more of the following. So you either diagnosis of cerebral palsy, a Bailey 3 or Bailey 4 score of less than 70 in any of the three scales, deafness or bilateral visual impairment. Um, and they also evaluated the individual components of each of these uh, severe neurodevelopmental impairment um, metrics. Um, let me pull up the paper question so far, Daphne. Sorry, I was muted. No, I, that makes sense. Okay. You got it. Um, I wanted to check one more thing if you want. The last clarification I will make is that um, the recordings that we're measuring for these infants, whether it's the peak bilirubin level, is independent with, of whether or not they received phototherapy, right? So they didn't try to parse out babies who did or did not, just your peak bilirubin level. Okay. So between January 2010 and December 2018, there were a total of 15,000 preterm infants with the gestational age between 22 and 28 and 6 that were admitted to participating center in the network. And of those, uh, 12,554 met inclusion criteria. So pretty impressive uh, group of, of, uh, of, you know, of, uh, of subjects. Now, they, um, they had a significant drop-off in the number of babies who were included versus the ones who actually uh, were there at follow-up. And so they lost to follow-up 5,916 children. And that's obviously a large number. Um, about 1,000 of them were lost due to death before follow-up assessment. That's very unfortunate. Um, but 4,846 of them were not, they didn't have the follow-up data. And I think we're going to talk a little bit about the characteristics, but I think this goes back to show how difficult it is to do neurodevelopmental follow-up. Now, characteristic of the study sample were different between the infants who, uh, so right, so so looking at these infants who were there at follow-up or who were lost to follow-up, what were some of the difference? Now, what they found was that chorioaminitis was less common in the group that uh, showed up at follow-up or that they were able to follow up with. Also, small for gestational age infants were more common in the follow-up group. There were small differences in um, maternal age, the rates of antenatal of administration of antenatal steroids. There was changes also in the gestational age birth weight between the two groups. So if you're curious a little bit about this, and I think that's an important piece of data, especially when the when 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 you're not the neonatal research network that has like 96% follow-up rate, right? Um, you um, or some of these uh, some of these European countries with uh, with good socialized uh, medicine, but mm -hmm. look at Table Three. Um, the, the the maternal age was a bit different, like I don't know thirty one, but it's not impressive thirty one years versus thirty years. Um, the degree of chorioaminitis was like twenty three percent versus thirty seven percent in the kids who did not follow up. So that's a pro that's that's a mm -hmm. problem, obviously. Um, the gestational age in weeks was 
different but relatively similar 26.3 weeks versus 26.5 weeks and again when you have large numbers any like two days difference in the gestational age is going to be significant so when you say oh there was a difference you may assume that i'm saying oh the kids who followed followed up were like 23 weeks and the one Mm -hmm. who did not were 32 No, no 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 they were they were pretty close birth weight also different but it was like 930 grams versus 981 grams and then the rates of small for gestational age that was that was quite different 8% versus 6% in the babies that did not follow up okay enough of the baseline characteristics uh, let's talk about uh, the data that they had so the median gestational age of the cohort was 26 weeks and the median birth weight was 920 grams the median peak bilirubin level increased with increasing gestational age and birth weight that trend was significant and the peak bilirubin level was reported at a median at a median of 5 days so when we say that the curve is a little bit shifted for preterm infants and that while a full-term infant may peak around 48 hours of life and that uh, preterm infants may be a bit later it is corroborated by by this data set that shows how you you find the peak bilirubin level at around 5 days now, among survivors who received follow-up, severe neurodevelopmental impairment was identified in 16.8%. In multivariable analysis, adjusted odds ratio showed higher odds in the highest quartile of peak bilirubin group compared with the lowest quartile of bilirubin for severe neurodevelopmental impairment and the need for hearing aid slash cochlear implant. So, What's interesting is that, um, right, um, there was no other, I'm going to finish and then I want to go over something, no other statistically significant differences were found after adjusting for co-founders. So basically what they found was that there were um, significantly more severe neurodevelopmental impairment in the babies that had an, um, who, whose bilirubin was in the 76th percentile or higher, right? Um, and they also found that this was also associated with uh, hearing aid and cochlear implant, and that was in the last, in the top two quartiles. So what do we mean by that, right? I'm going to give you some numbers just because I think it's interesting, but I'm going to give you based on gestational age in weeks, okay? So for, um, for the 22-weekers, the 75th percentile that they identified was a belly of 8.1. For the 23-weekers, it was 8.3. 24-weekers, it was 8.7. 25 weekers, it was like 9.3. 26 weekers, it was 9.4. 27 weekers, it's 10.1. And 28 weekers, it's 10.7. Which, I mean, I don't think we let our babies go to 8.1 at 22 weeks, but mm-hmm. these are not numbers that are hard to reach. Right. Oh, uh, yeah, you could definitely get there. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> if you looked at it from the birth weight standpoint, <clears throat> less than 500 grams, the 75th percentile is 8.2. Um 500 to 750 is 8.8, 750 to 1,000 about 9.5, 1,000 to 1,250 is about 10.6, mm-hmm. 1,250 to 1,500 is about 11, and 1,500 grams or more is 12.3. So that table is kind of cool. I saved it. Um, and remember, these numbers may actually be babies who um, – these actually may be babies who received phototherapy, right? So, right. So these – this is just their peak bilirubin level. So I think this was a very interesting paper. The conclusion is that um, the authors feel like they provide normative total peak bilirubin mm-hmm. distributions in a large national cohort of preterm infants born before 29 weeks of gestation. And their report shows that peak total bilirubin levels in extremely preterm neonates are higher as gestational age and birth weight uh, increase. 
and that the peak bilirubin values in the highest gestational age specific quartile were associated with a higher odds of neurodermal impairment and hearing impairment in neonates born before 29 weeks of gestation. Interesting, interesting mm -hmm. paper. Yeah. Well, and, and part of it is what we do clinically, right, to prevent those peaks, right? We're more aggressive in the lower gestational ages, but it's useful. useful. Yeah. Do, I was, do you have any questions? I was thinking mm -hmm. you were going to have a question, so I left that. So the question you may ask, people may ask is, say, well, you're just looking at a peak bilirubin level. You're correlating that with some follow-up at like 18 to 30 months. Like some kids get sick. There's so many other factors. Um, sure. That was that was addressed, I and mean, I, I, I. But you could say that about any of the things we research, right? Absolutely. <laughs> so. um, they did multivariable logistic regression analysis, and and that included right. birth weight, sex, multiple gestational age, and also they they used the SNAP score, um, and and maternal education as well. So um, so that was that was obviously uh, it goes without saying that if that was had not been done, the data would not really be valuable. But uh, it's in there, and there's more information if you want in the. Um, in the statistical analysis section of the paper. But yeah. This podcast is intended to be purely for entertainment and informational purposes and should not be construed as medical advice. If you have any medical concerns, please see your primary care professional. Thank you.